Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Two Saints podcast show today with myself, Mark C, and my co-host, Mark Coach. Hi, Mark. How are you? Yeah, everything's going all right, man. It was a um, fairly positive week in terms of what went on the pitch. Um, you know, for the first team in the ladies, or the women at least. Yeah, um, so, yeah, it was, wasn't too bad a week. Yeah, and um, all no. I would say is I hope that everyone out there, all the Saints supporters, are taking care of one another. Absolutely right. Yeah, totally echo those sentiments. And hopefully we'll all be back next season with a bit of luck, fingers crossed. <laughs> we can only hope anyway. So the Two Saints email address for you, the Two Saints podcast show at Outlook.com. That's for any issues to do with the show, any future features you'd like to see or anything you'd like to speak to us about. And obviously positive or negative feedback, we like to know either because obviously we can't do the show without you. So, and the ways to access the podcast show are the following. We've got a recorded message I'll just put to you now. Just to remind you all, you can contact us via our email address, the Two Saints podcast show at Outlook.com for questions or items you'd like to hear in future shows. You can listen to the radio show on Fiesta 95FM in Southampton and via onlineradiobox.com. Also, the Two Saints podcast show is now available via Spotify, Overcast, Acast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Deezer, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, or via our Facebook page, The Two Saints Show, and our YouTube channel, The Two Saints Podcast Show. Right, there we go. So, coming up for you in the first half of the show today, we have The Two Saints Review of Saints 1, Leicester City 1, and we also have Saints Club News. So we're going to take a very short break. When we come back, we'll do the Two Saints review of Saints 1, Leicester 1. It's the Two Marks, C&H, on the Two Saints Show, Fiesta 95FM. Right, welcome back. Carrying on with the show today. The Two Saints review of Saints 1, Leicester City 1. Ten-man Saints battle to a brave point. Ralph Hassanoodle, I'm proud of every player. And Alex McCarthy, the determination was unbelievable. Yeah, I'd agree, McCarthy, the determination was unbelievable. Ralph wasn't the only one who was proud of every player. We all were as well, apart from Yannick Vestergaard. Silly sausage. Getting himself sent off after 10 minutes. Um, if you'd actually been in control of the ball, Yannick, you wouldn't have had to make that recovering tackle that resulted in you being sent off. Whether it's been overturned or not, whether it's the right decision or the wrong decision, it was your own stupid fault. Yeah, yeah. You were lucky to get away with that one. Yeah, yeah. Because you weren't in control of the ball. And you didn't have the team. As talk. you know, as you know, Mark, it was more my issue was more the fact that at no stage was Yannick in in charge of that football. <laughs> at, at no stage, hence, you know, he ended up doing what he did. Now, I I didn't agree with the red card for the reasons that were given. Yeah. But unfortunately, Yannick put himself in that position where interpretations and because we're in a different era of football even yeah. than four years ago you know unfortunately he put himself in that position where the interpretation could be oh, bad card you're off you know oh, unfortunately for, unfortunately for him will score an opportunity and danger you know you can go through the list that they yeah. would use for to justify getting the red card for him Unfortunately for him, because I've seen people complaining it wasn't looked at by VAR. Unfortunately for him, the decision was so clear cut from the ref on the field, he made it so obvious. VAR didn't even look at it; they didn't even question it. Yeah, no, I know. Gave I, the referee no option. So even no. if it was looked at, I think it was a fleeting glance by by John Moss. To be honest with you, mate, yep. you know, I, I think it was yep. definitely one of those. I mean. You know, we're we're going to come to it later on, but interestingly enough, right? 
the Liverpool fans are up in arms because Kevin Friend has been appointed the, the referee for Saturday, right? And I'm thinking to myself, God, you're up in arms. I mean, there's plenty of Saints fans that be sat there going, he's no friend of yours. But, and, and just so as you know, the VAR official for Saturday as well is um, Andre Marner. Oh, God. So, anyway, uh. but, but on, the, on the Friday nights, Man, all I could do was absolutely smile because I'm going to be controversial in what I say here. And I know you've already heard all this, Mark, right? But I'm going to say if we had a full complement of 11 players on that pitch on Friday night, we would have been beat, right? Yeah. There's no question to my mind we would have been beaten, right? Why Why do I say that? Because you could see Southampton's game plan from the get-go, okay? And, it, and what it was, was it was for the likes of Yannick Vestergaard, they actually knock the ball over the top, right? And try and drop it in behind the midfield, yeah. right? And slightly in front of, you know, the back the back four or the, or the central two, right? Well, in that, fairness, Mark, the first that, one of those actually, in fairness, the first one of those works because it went over the top of Carl Walker-Peters who buried it. But, but the, <laughs> problem, the problem I had with it, Mark, and I'm sure you'll agree when I explain where I'm coming from, right? That works for Kyle Walker-Peters down that side. It doesn't work for Jack Stevens down the other side like that, because yeah. Jack Stevens, as he showed, right, when he tries to go marauding forward, like... I away at Newcastle, yeah. he can't get back. So, yeah. so, so trust me, right? When faster cards get sent off, yes, I was worried, right? I was, you know, I was worried, but I did sit there and I thought to myself, well, now we've got to show some determination and some resolve yep. to get a result. And, well, and, the, the, thing and is, the, thing, the thing is, is we did it, and we did it without. Danny Ings, yep. Ryan Bertram, yep. and for 80 minutes without Vestergaard. Well, all three, let me finish, all three of those players, you know, look like they could be leaving our football club this summer. So all yep. I would say is, is there is a future for the football club. Yep. You know, don't necessarily hang your hat on these, these players because well, at the end of the day, They've got sell-on values, and at the end of the day, it's still money coming into the football club that they can spend yeah. on other players. And the other thing, the other thing that I just want to say very briefly is, for any of the supporters out there that were sat there saying Ralph needs to go, blah blah blah, he's lost the dressing room. Take a look at Friday night. Take a look at Friday night because that was a team that was working very, very hard for their manager. And it showed a degree of unity, togetherness, yep. and basically the, the ethic of hard work, which our club always bangs on about hard I work is secret to any sort of success. I wish I could actually find the article I read about the game on Friday because there was an article that was put out about what Ralph's tactics were and his setup and everything else and all the little things he did that made a massive difference. So... Little things that people probably wouldn't have noticed. Ralph Hassan, who won a touchline. Brand new white trainers, Mark. You don't see Ralph in white trainers on the touchline. Interesting one. 
He wasn't alone in the technical era. Craig Fleming made appearances in the technical era. Richard Kitchbickler made appearances. Normally, he just sits down all the time. Um, the players were actually sent to do their warm-up right in front of the press section where the Leicester guys were. The guys that normally make notes of what Saints are doing and how they look like they're lined up, what drills they're doing. Jack Stevens was basically doing a fake drill. He was getting getting used as doing drills as if he was going to play at centre-half. He then went over to left-back. So there were certain things that were going on before the game that obviously were set to trap Leicester and to fall Leicester into what Saints were doing and what they were, what system they were going to play, formation and everything else. Um, so, you know, obviously the, the send-off changed that, but... All I will say is Ralph got it right, and there's two reasons Ralph got it right. Mo Salisu. Yeah. Um all, all I all I would say is and I know people have varying degrees of you know who they thought played well and everything else. I mean, for me personally, it probably went as follows. It probably went Shea Adams, Salisu. And then it's a flip up between McCarthy or Kyle Walker Peters for the third, you know, for the third best player. But the the thing is, is why I say Shea Adams is I always think you know you defend from the front. It's not it's not just a a back thing. And he did try to fight for every ball. And you know, at at the end of the day, yes, it was a penalty. James Ward, you know, Ward Price stuck it away. Um, I also want to say about Jack Stevens, Mark. Um, the thing is, is that sort of game showed what he's good at, and he he is actually not bad at defending. And and the good thing was was, you know, the fact that Vestergaard gets sent off, you know, stopped any thought for him of going forward. Um, which which I thought was a fantastic thing. He's also taken over the mantra from Rand Bertram of Saints' number one time waster because the amount of time wasting he was doing on Friday night was just ridiculous. But I mean, you know, when I when I say that, I mean in a professional way. You know, there there there. You know, players know that there's ways of doing it. Yeah, he was given clear instructions by Ralph. Um, and the clear instructions were to do exactly what he did. So, you know, the clear instructions obviously came across on the pitch. And I would say to a man, every single player, as you said, performed for the manager and did exactly what the manager asked. That was not a team that the manager has lost in the dressing room. Far from it. Exactly. Far from it. You've got exactly. three players that weren't included that are potentially causing unrest. When those three players were out of the picture, the team was fine. That was a team playing for their manager. And the the other thing of the other thing I would say, Mark, and probably the downside of the evening, really, was for Nathan Teller, because he he's picked the play and he's probably thinking to himself, right, that this is the opportunity after all the noises that Ralph had made, <laughs> right, and then he gets sacrificed ten minutes in. Now, personally, I didn't necessarily have a. Way- no. Have a problem with Ralph's thinking because obviously Ralph's thinking would be, you know, Melamina is going to be much more valuable for Saints on the pitch just in terms of his experience, yeah, yeah, yeah. than probably, you know, Nathan Teller. But, um, yeah, I mean, that that was probably the only downside, you know, on the evening would be that Nathan Teller had to come off after 10 minutes, but yeah, I can't think that, um. 
I'm kind of thinking Yannick Vestergaard won't be on his Christmas card list. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, the, and the other the other thing to say, Mark, is you know, if 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 Saints fans were honest about it, you know, do you honestly think we would have got a result that Fahada had a full compliment on the pitch? I don't think so. I think the send it off completely changed the dynamic of the game and and it did give us the resolve to go out and actually get the point. And, you know, what Saints fan on the planet wouldn't have settled for a point on Friday night? I, I can't think of anybody that wouldn't have settled for a point against Leicester at home on Friday night. Because I'll tell you something, and I'm not going to mention that result, but all I'll say to you is, is, I'm sure there was a fair few people that were sat in that stadium in that evening and they were listening on their radios or watching on the TV, what, however you were accessing it, right? And they were sat there, they're thinking, Friday night, horrible weather, can, you know, can history repeat itself? Anyway, moving on. So the Premier League 2 report, Saints nil, Everton 5, the other 23 is going down again. Under 18's report, West Ham 3, Saints 2, and the women's report, Buckland 2, Saints 5. Right, so the under 18's, I'm not going to comment on too much. Nope. I mean, they went down 3 2. Went down 14 at, at least. At home. Obviously, you know, there was a bit of a performance put in there, but Mark, if you look at the B team's result, the 5 the five now against Everton, I mean, all, all I'll say to you is, is, to me, right, playing at St Murray's, whether it's the under 18s or the or the B team, it should be a reward. It should be a reward, and 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 to my mind, you should, you you know, okay, the first team have to play there, but you should only be allowed to play there if you're playing well, like the women's team, yep. for example. Yep. You know. Um, well, you know, somebody said, somebody said last night on the fans forum, and by the way, listeners, we're going to cover that next week, but somebody yeah. said last night in the fans forum, what about the idea of having double headers, right? In the sense of you have the first team play at three o'clock, and then that's followed by the women's team, say, half an hour later. I think it's a brilliant idea. Yes, great idea. Absolutely great idea, and I'm I'm more I'm totally in favour of that. To be fair, so that the women get to play in front of a yeah, full stadium, well. or if yeah, you they, want to watch the game, you can go home. But I'm a good deal. I mean, I'd be I'd be all in favour of that. I, yeah, you know, right. I'd be more than happy to spend you know to be there from three o'clock in the afternoon to half seven at night. Oh, I agree yeah. with you. I agree with you hundred percent. I'm absolutely totally with you on that. But, but I, I tend to think I tend to think that you know it should only be happening if you're doing well. And the thing is, is like that five now, and this this is what the most concerning thing would be. And I know you're going to touch on this in a minute. You know, when you look at the lineup that was playing, you kind of sit there and you think to yourself, "Don't be reliant." I mean, okay, yes, there's Nathan Teller. But don't be reliant on anything coming through the academy or these so-called built-up players. Yep. Because there is nothing. There are five now, and we yep. had players like 
Michael Obafemi playing, we had Dan Lindelow playing, we had Nathan Teller himself playing, we had Will Furry playing, we had Alex Yankovic playing. You know, so so please, you know, Harry Lewis, who who gets you know, keeps getting champion. I think he might be off in the summer personally. I mean, he may, he may be deemed surplus to requirements. But but having said all that, Mark, when you look at the names there, and these are all people that have been in and around the first-team squad and made first-team appearances, you've got to say at 5-0, 5-0, there doesn't seem to be a lot there, does there? I mean, you know, let, let's call it how we see it. Oh, I agree with you. Looking at, the, looking at the team. Harry Lewis, Alan Chapchet, he got sent off. Oladair Olufunwa, play he right, Mark. Will I mean, Ferry. that's the player I read. Will Ferry, Zuriel Tayo, Ethan Burnett, Alexander Yankovic, Kazima Alegbe, Romelo Mitchell, Nathan Teller, Dan Nundalu, Michael Obafemi. That's the team. Staggering. But the disturbing thing is, is, these are players that the club have previously, and even still now, put great store in. And I'm sitting there thinking, if you think that's the future of Southampton Football Club, we're banging trouble. Not only that, Matt Crocker needs to look at this as well, because if you look at the stats, it actually sounds like the first team. I'm not even joking. Listen to the stats, okay? Head-to-head stats, Saints v Everton. This sounds like a first-team game, okay? 68% possession for Saints, 32 for Everton. Nine shots on target for Saints, 15 for Everton. Three shots on target for Saints, six for Everton. Four corners for Saints, two for Everton. 543 passes for Saints, 220 for Everton. It sounds like you're reading the stats from a Premier League game. Yeah, no, it does, does, man. And I know they want the teams to play the same way. Well, guess what? They are. It's But the, the, the problem for me is everybody's suffering from the same thing. Yeah. And that is that, yes, we're playing possession football, but when it comes to the final third of the pitch or you're in the round the 18-yard box, nobody seems to be prepared to take responsibility and have a shot. You know, so, I I mean, the thing is, is I'm, I'm not exactly sure where you go from there because obviously the club are using this blueprint and they're going to stick with it. But, I mean, you know, hopefully when we get round to talking about what, what went on at the forum last night, next week, it'll be a little bit clearer for me and you and the, the listeners come next week about, you know, how the club are intending to take it forward. But certainly at the at the minute, you know, for the for the under 18s and the B team, it's been a washout. And I think I think actually that might have been the last game of the season for the for the uh, or if it's not, there's cert- it's the, certainly the second the last games of the season. But effectively, both uh, I mean the under 18s will finish bottom of their bottom of their southern section that they're in um, and there's 12 or 13 teams besides ourselves in that so the finished bottom of that section and it looks like the B team has been relegated as well from uh, Premier League 2 so they'll drop down a, down a league next season so it's been an absolute and a horribleness as the Queen would say, you know, on that, on that side of seeing things. 
moving on to the ladies, um, all, all I would say about Southampton women is the juggernaut just keeps rolling on, you know, and there was, uh, I would say, about half changes um, in the lineup on Sunday. Uh, yeah. They played Buckland. Um, Buckland, they're in the same division. Uh, so I was I was relaying the fact to a friend that the women had played on Sunday or Monday, and he turned around and I told him the score, and he said to me, "What they didn't win by more? They usually fashion Buckland about nine now. So so you know there there goes the yardstick. But the thing is, is obviously Marianne Stacey Keel felt that it was time for to give people on the fringes a bit of a run out and, and get them involved. And the thing is, is Mark, it's, it's all good news because it's all about momentum and moving forward. Yeah. And each week, you know, they're playing these friendlies, they're winning games of football. And then on the flip side of that, their opponents, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday, Birmingham City, they keep losing matches in the in the women's Premier League, so hopefully, you know, after the Saints ladies won five two this weekend, hopefully come you know this time next Sunday, not this Sunday but next Sunday, you know we might be able to cause an upset in the fifth or sixth round of the yeah. FA Cup. Absolutely, yeah, and um, I'd like to think that, Mark. I mean, you know, their form has been that good um, and they've pretty much just beaten all comers, haven't they? Everyone that's been put in front of them, they've beaten. Yeah, well, I can't get a result against Birmingham to play that way. 100%. Now we're hearing that, you know, the girls may be elevated yeah. up the league, but obviously we'll touch on that next week. Yeah, right. But I think I think it's richly deserved, if I'm honest, Mark. They're, they're yeah. only going to be elevating up one um, which will mean that they're going to be one outside the championship. But given what's happened the last two seasons and they've been cruising the league both times, I think it's richly deserved. And the other thing as well is, obviously, if we don't see, you know, the, the girls being promoted, there is the danger. I mean, admittedly, a lot of them have working jobs in the area and stuff like that there. But the but the better players and certainly the more developed players, you know, there's always a danger while we're not being promoted and we're not moving up the pyramid of losing our better players. Yep. You know? Well, that's the danger, isn't it? That is the danger. That's always the danger, I think, as well, at any level of the club. Yeah, yeah I would agree with that. So, anyway, we'll move on to the fact that Saints stores are unavailable next week. They're going through a standard, what's called um, upgrade, standard upgrade, apparently. So nothing to be alarmed about, but uh, it will be unavailable <laughs> next week. The, the, the only thing I would say about that, Mark, is and it's kind of ironic. Obviously, it was this week, people. So apparently tomorrow you'll be able to go in store. And apparently also the online will be back up and running sometime this evening. I'm led to believe Friday evening. So, but the thing that I find ironic is, right, so lockdown restrictions are easing, right? And obviously, Saints made the decision to to basically have a revamp, right? But I'm sort of sat there thinking to myself, you're doing it just as restrictions are being limited, 
lifted. You know, and the store might be as a, at one of its busiest points. But then, having said all that, of course, you know, they're probably having the revamp because, you know, come next month, you're going to see all the Hummel gear all of a sudden go be brought in and obviously you won't be seeing any more under armor gear but yeah i agree with you mark i think it probably does take a few days to upgrade the prices by 50 percent. so uh, that's probably, probably the reason there is unavailable thanks well to upgrade the prices that much doesn't it i tell you what that's not even a joke mate it's not is it no not so yet what used to cost you £25 for a retro shirt, everybody? £55. It's gone up by 30 quid. That's over 50%. I'm, it's quite I'm a sorry. I still upgrades, have a yeah. No wonder they're close for upgrades. I still have a bugbear over that. The you know, Hummel may have designed it to the exact spec yep. specifications as the old one, but it still doesn't justify yeah, retro shirts being jumped up from that yeah, price. And, and, and by the way, uh, Southampton Football Club and every other football club in the Premier League, by the way, all the fans are unavailable for the next week because they're actually going through their own upgrade. They're being upgraded from customers to supporters. Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd like that one, Mark. <laughs> so, Mark hates being referred to as a customer, and so do I. It's horrible. Right, anyway, fixture changes are made for May. The Premier League have today confirmed an additional two Southampton fixtures taking place in May have been selected for TV coverage by Sky Sports. The previously postponed meeting with Crystal Palace will now take place at St Mary's on Tuesday 11th of May at 8pm. St Mary's will also play host to Fulham on the penultimate weekend, with that fixture taking place on Saturday the 15th of May 3pm, as previously stated. For guidance, match rounds 36 to 37 being rescheduled. So... That moves us on to that. The fixture schedule has been confirmed for May. Premier League of today confirms Southampton's fixtures. Promoted fixture, sorry, is against Leeds United, and that will take place on Tuesday, the 18th of May at 6 p.m. on Sky Sports. So, yeah, I mean, I'm dreading this weekend, Mark, because obviously the Liverpool game's Saturday at 8.15. I mean, <laughs> it's, that that's a bit ridiculous, but uh, yeah, look, it is it is what it is till the end of the season. We we'll get everything out of the way, but um, hopefully everybody's take taking note of the changes. Yep, yep, oh, it's got to be done. Um, I'm glad about that as well. So, Saints Foundation pupils are taking a stand against racism, which is good news, Mark. I think. Yeah, so I mean, everyone else. and obviously Ralph Aston, who also on top of that is welcoming a social media boycott, as me and Mark have both agreed on that as well. Um, it should have been done, and we're glad it was. Yeah, I mean, it, look, I've, I've, we've spoken off about the social media boycott. I just, I just find it good and interesting that I mean, I had a I had a look at the article in, in regards to the work that the Science Foundation are doing in the junior schools in relation to racism and stuff like that there. And obviously I'm a great advocate in that you catch young people in their formative years, you know, and obviously it stays with them. So that that's good work on the foundation's part. I mean, I've seen some of the stuff, some of the drawings and some of the poems that were written and stuff like that there. And, uh, yeah, there's good work being done there. Good. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, there's always been good work going on at the Saints Foundation, and that just backs it up, really, doesn't it? So we'll move on to the last article in this section, Alan McLaughlin and appreciation. Saints historian Duncan Holly remembers former Southampton midfielder Alan McLaughlin, who's passed away aged 54. Southampton fans in the early 90s will have good cause to remember Alan McLaughlin, 
who sadly passed away aged 54. Firstly, in January 1990, as a Swindon player, he opened the scoring at the Dow after a delightful shimmy around two defenders in an, elite, in an eventful League Cup tie. Suitably impressed that December, Saints manager Chris Nicholl potentially made him the club's first million-pound signing, up 700000 up front with 300000 to be paid after 30 appearances. In the summer between those two events, he'd featured in Jack Charlton's Republic of Ireland side that played in the World Cup in Italy. Allen had been born in Manchester, but his father hailed from the Republic, and he went on to represent his country 42 times in total. Wearing the number 10 shirt that forced to play out wide, Allen was an ever-present in the 22 league games that remained that season. Nicol was dismissed in the close season under the new manager Ian Bramford. Alan Shearer was up uh, to Alan, Alan Shearer, sorry, Alan McLaughlin was never to start another game for the club. I don't know where that one came from. I do apologise, everyone. Portsmouth stepped in with an offer of £400,000, and as it turned out, they had an absolute bargain, as Alan went out on to pull on the Pompey shirt on more than 350 occasions. However, a persistent back injury obliged him to finally quit playing in 2003, and he moved into coaching. At first, with Forest Green Rovers, and then back at Fratton Park. His untimely passing has resulted in many tributes from fans and players alike, including a heartfelt message from one-time Dow colleague Francis Bernardi, who, while expressing his sadness on social media, finished with these poignant six words. A wonderful player and a lovely man. Alan Francis McLaughlin, 20th of April 1967 to the 4th of May 2021. So yeah, um, on behalf of the Two Saints show, um, condolences to Alan's family and friends. And um, rest in peace, Adam McLaughlin. Great servant to Science and Football Club and Football in the South. Yeah, I mean, all, all I would say, Mark, is, is like condolences to the families and the family and, and his friends and stuff like that there. And, you know, the, the, the thing is, it's incredibly sad because Alan's been fighting for some time and i seen an article about three weeks ago where he, he basically said that, I, th- I think it was sort of Melona um, sort of ca- cancer thing because he said that it had spread. Um, and obviously, you know, it, you kind of knew that it wouldn't be too long. Um, but obviously when it happens, it's very, very sad. The other thing that I would say is, is that you know, unfortunate, unfortunately for us as Saints fans, he only made 20 odd appearances, believe it or not, for Saints. And unfortunately, that was down to one man, Mr. Bramford, who, as we know, was, you know, a great, you know, a great man for, for, for knowing a good player when he seemed one, hence the fact that Matt Letizia you know, didn't really tend to feature that often under his tenure. But, um, you know, all joking aside, I mean, I, I just wish that Alan had been at Saints for longer. Um, as I say, as you say, Chris Nichols signed him. He was signed for a million pounds, which wasn't a shabby fee at the time, let's be honest. Um, and I think that, you know, had he have been you know, um, around whenever the likes of Alan Ball was in charge, who obviously took 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 over from Ian Bramford, you know, I think it would have been a very, very different story in Alan's career, you know, as a, as a Saints player. But, um, um, you know, fortunately, I suppose, you know, he was able to go to Portsmouth and show his talents there. Um, but, um, 
I, I still think he would have been a brilliant signing for us. Uh, you know, he, he was hard-working midfielder, you know, and, and a great abundance of talent. I mean, one thing that I'll always remember about him, Mark, is that um, so the Republic of Ireland were due to play a World Cup qualifier in Belfast, and basically Northern Ireland needed to win the game to qualify, and the Republic needed a draw. And basically, the the final score was one each. So Northern Ireland were leading at the time, and Alan McLaughlin scored, you know, a very very good goal. Funnily enough, for for the Republic, and you you know how I am. You know, as a well, as a proud Northern Stroke Irish man, but um, you know, and and obviously I had hope that we would qualify. But uh, when Alan McLaughlin scored at the time, I thought to myself, well, if there was anybody who was going to score, you know, the goal for the Republic, I would rather be Alan McLaughlin than any other player on the pitch. You know. And uh, it's just, just very, very, very sad time, yet. And uh, I know that I know among Saints fans of my generation and your generation, you know, he'll be very fondly remembered. Although he only made those twenty odd appearances. Well, myself and my dad, Mark, we had conversations when we were at Dow about players that should be on the team sheet every time. First mate, first name on the team sheet, and Adam McLaughlin was right up there. Hundred percent. Yeah, no, fantastic memories. And he, he did like a shot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. We could do with him in the team in the middle. And he well, did could, make a shot. Talk, you're right. He did. You know what, Mark? We, we could. We can talk about Alan McLaughlin until the cows come home, couldn't we? So, uh, as I said, our, our condolences on him and to all your family and friends. And what a, what a lovely man and a great player. Rest in peace, Alan McLaughlin. Yeah, doors up yet. Yeah. Right. On that very sad note, that does bring us to the end of that section of the show. So we're going to take a break now. And when we come back, we'll be doing the second half of the show. And coming up for you in the second half, we have other football news, Saints in the press and transfer gossip, and the two Saints preview of Liverpool versus Saints and Southampton versus Crystal Palace. That's right. You've got two previews coming up. So please get through. We'll be back soon. It's Mark C and Mark H. Mark my word, they're here with everything in the Two Saints show. Right, welcome back everybody to the second half of the Two Saints podcast show today. So, coming up now, other football news. We start with the Premier League. No away fans at final top flight games. How well does your club engage with fans and chase fans at final top flight games, Mark? Um, I'm not overly surprised at that, but let's have them back next season. Yeah, no, I'll go along with that, man. I mean, I think the thing is, is that, you know, it, where it was first started, it did. It did seem that it was a little bit too much too soon. I mean, the thing is, is I th- I think as well that you're unlikely to see, say, season ticket holders, uh, seeing season ticket holders. I'm talking about, say, from the Midlands or up north, you know, being able to uh, travel to the the last home game. You know, so so effectively, you know, and I, I do still think that you'll see extended capacities, you know, for the for the last home game, but obviously 
I still think there'll be a degree of social distancing and yeah. it will basically be left open only to season ticket holders that live in the local area. Yeah, it's got to be done somewhere, isn't it? I mean, it's just, it's, it's, some of the situations are crazy. I, mean, I, I want to see it done safely, but, you know, just get on with it, you know? Yeah, no, no, I, I get, safely, I get, get on with it. That, but at, at the end of the day, I also understand that it has to be done yeah. responsibly. Yeah, yeah. And I do, I do think that, obviously, things... The, the other thing to say is things have to be put in place, like the flow yeah. testing and stuff like that, yeah. which I think the clubs will use. Yeah. And obviously, come the start of next season, all that sort of thing will be in place. I do think that you will see away fans next season, yeah. although I don't think it will happen straight away. And basically, my, my thoughts on it are this. Um, if you look at the stats and the survey that was done, um, in the top 20, you have three Premier League clubs. Um, I think you've got Norwich, obviously, who have just come up. They're 10th. You've got Leicester City, who I always think are the benchmark in terms of the owner, you know, how ownership, because they do what's basically written on the tin and what I think the majority of all supporters want for their for their football clubs. Um, they're in 11th in terms of communication. And then you've got Everton, who are in 13th place in terms of communication. And they're the only three Premier League clubs out of the top 20 that are in the top 20 positions. Um, interestingly, and I know we're going to go on and speak about this, um, none of the big six are obviously remotely even. I think the nearest is about position 46th, which I think is Manchester City. You know, um, you know, we like to think that our, our club, Southampton, does a lot. I mean, it, it would suggest that... that you know, within this survey, it would suggest that that isn't the case. Um, and also, that you, you know, the interesting thing to lead on from that is obviously languishing down in 78th place of the 92. So the early four was at 14 places off the bottom is Chelsea. And hence, hence Chelsea have decided that they are now going to have supporter representatives in on board meetings. And, I, and I, I mean, I'm not sure about having loads, right? But I always think that any board within a football club, although I've not, you know, you know, on previous pods, I have never advocated community ownership of football clubs, right? right. Because ultimately, they're always out with, you know, the buckets and trying to raise money and stuff like that there. So that kind of tells you that it's not always successfully run. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Like we've seen at Bournemouth. Yep. Right? But but the one thing I would say and the one thing that I do advocate is that there does need to be support a supporter, right? And that supporter needs to represent the fans' view of whatever club and yep. be sat on the board, you know, yep. or sat as an advisory and just say to yep. them, look, 
you know that if you're going to go down this route, there's going to be a fans backlash. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. There should be a fans backlash. And to be fair, you know, peaceful protests only go so far and then it spills over like it did recently at Old Trafford. So, you know, doing these things has got to be done. It's for the good of the game as well as the good of the clubs and the good of the supporters. So, yeah. Moving on from there, Football League news. Norwich have secured promotion back to the Premier League. They're better prepared than the last time round, apparently. Uh, Munoz, Cisco Munoz has changed the Watford move. They obviously sealed promotion on Saturday as well. Hull won the League One title. Peterborough also sealed promotion with a last pass goal. Southend were sadly relegated from the Football League after 101 years. Cherry's keeper Travis's cup final hero and Swansea's Whitaker racially abused. Those are your Football League headlines, Mark. Right. Well, let, let, let's do the, the promotions and the relegations, right? Um, we'll pick it up from the Bournemouth story, okay? So let me just run through all the promotions and relegations from last from last weekend, right? So we start off in the championship, obviously, as Mark's just reported there. We've had Norwich, and they were confirmed as champions on Saturday. That's, that's why I wanted to leave that. Obviously, Watford had seen promotion the previous week, but we were waiting to see who was going to go up as champions. Watford go up in second place. And into the playoffs, we have Brantford, Barnsley, um, uh, Swansea, and another club who's escaping me at the minute. Hang on, people. Uh, uh, Bournemouth. How could I forget Bournemouth? So the three... Easily done. (laughs) Barnsley and Bramford and Swansea have have duly gone into the playoffs. And then down at the bottom, I would suggest that uh, Wickham are more or less condemned because they need a massive goal swing, which you don't see happening. And then it's two from three. It's basically uh, Rotherham, Sheffield Wednesday or Derby, um, and then and then basically you go into the League One situation, um, and League One basically at the minute, I don't really want to say too much about the playoff places because they're kind of still to be um, sorted out to a degree. Um, obviously, we have had. Uh, Hull, Hull go up as champions last weekend and also to follow on from that as Mark reported again you know um, Peterborough have gone up in second place uh, the playoff positions in League One are still kind of to be dis- decided um, and the relegation places unfortunately last weekend it was confirmed that along with Swindon, Bristol Rovers, that Northampton and Rochdale had all gone down. Um, and then, obviously, then we move into League Two. So, definitely promoted, but not crowned champions. We have Cheltenham Town. Um, and, unfortunately, at the minute, I can't confirm anything else promotion-wise or playoffs-wise in that division. Um, but obviously at the other end of the table, Grimsby went down a few weeks ago and 
unfortunately on Saturday we seen that uh, South End United have been relegated. Um, I think for them it's a particularly, I mean the two things that I would highlight about obviously the lower leagues is, you know, it, it's great to see the likes of Hull come up because obviously, I, you know, I, I look at Hull and I think it's a bit of an outpost, you know, it's a bit like Grimsby. So the lost the lost Grimsby on that side of the country, if you if you see what I mean. But the good news is Hull's gone back up into the championship, you know, and I'm sure the supporters are pleased about that. Um, and the the other thing I would kind of highlight before I go on to talk about Southend United would be basically. You know, Cheltenham, what a hell of an achievement. Okay, they haven't sealed, you know, uh, going up as champions, but for them to go up, you know, and gain automatic promotion for the first time in their history, because they've only ever got promoted through the playoffs, you know, Michael Duff there has done a fantastic job, you know, similar to the the, the job basically that Grant McCann's done it at at Hull, um, and then, you know, looking down to, obviously, the teams that got relegated, it's very sad for a, for a team like Grimsby, because, again, it is a bit of a football outpost. It's the sort of places that I enjoy going to to watch my football. I've got to be honest. I, you know, I like going to the outposts and I enjoy the fish and chips. Um, but, Having said all that, Mark, as well, uh, you know, you've got to report that it's sad times for the Shrimpers. If you're a, if you're a fan of uh, Southend United, it's very, very sad times. I, I felt that the right was on the wall when they decided to appoint, you know, a, a, a non-league manager for me. You know, he knows his ways around the non-league. He helped to get Weymouth promoted into the conference. I can't think what his name is, Mark, something or other. But really, when he was appointed there, I did think that's the wrong move. And unfortunately, if the club had have brought Phil Brown in sooner, you know, they probably they may not have been facing the situation that they now face. Um, there's a degree of uncertainty about the club anyway in terms of the way it's being run in the ownership because they have said that the 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 club would be moving to a new stadium all purpose. Obviously that now would be severely in doubt with there being no, you know, football league um matches. Uh so be interested to see if the press ahead with plans for that. But as I say, a hundred and one years unbroken in the football league and it's come to this and it's just a very very sad state of affairs so mark travers bournemouth goalkeeper scores in stoppage time and saves the penalty in cup final shootout mark travers eventful cup final included a stoppage time headed equaliser against easley so yeah talk about a cup final hero effectively man you'd have been proud of this mark you know you being an ex-goalkeeper and a different kind of sport but you would have been proud of this um Basically, he scored all I can describe as a headed goal, you know, from a set piece. Corner. Uh, corner. 
Yeah, exactly. And, a and, of a you know, the last few, you know, typical sort of keeper goes up, you know, bit of a melee, but there was nobody actually marking him, and it was it was a really really good tenor for a goalkeeper. I've got to say, um, you know, it was worthy actually winning the game. So anyway, three three go, goes into the old penalty shootout, you know, and he saves too, and and that is the epitome of what you would call a man of the match performance, like you said. You know, well, yeah. well done him and well done the former flag. But, yeah, you know, I, I just right. thought it was a good news story as well. Yeah. But obviously, commiserations to Eastley. Yeah, definitely. So moving on to Swansea. Morgan Whitaker, the Swansea forward was racially abused on social media on the weekend of a sports boycott. I don't actually know how he was racially abused because there was supposed to be a boycott on. But it's uh, even worse. Uh, it happened that weekend, Mark, as well. Yeah, right. So, no, but it wasn't Mark... What basically happened was, so Morgan Whitaker, unfortunately, got abused hours yeah. after the social media blackout. Right, it basically came to light that he was abused hours after the social wow. media blackout. So, uh, as I say, right. it, it's an ongoing issue. You know you know my feelings on it, and I've decided... Mine's very straightforward. Absolute scumbags. Yeah, I mean, all, all all I would say, Mark, is until the social media companies are prepared to do something, and I think I've, I've got to the stage now where there has to be punishment, even if they're not of adult age, whether that's going to uh, detention centres or whatever it would be. And if it is an adult, I would expect their new laws to be brought in. And for those people to face jail sentences. I'm sorry. You know, the thing is, is the social media people are not prepared by the sounds of it to do anything. They, they want to protect people's anonymity. The, you know, if you're, if you're doing these kind of things, right, and it, it's not just about, you know, the racism thing, although that's a big part of it. You know, the thing is, is people have different lifestyles, for goodness sake, just leave people alone to lead their own lives. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, who made you judge and jury? You know, you know, and keep keep your own prejudice pleased to yourself. You know, because I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And and as you know, as you know, Mark, I have I have taken myself now permanently off social media, and I won't be coming back anytime soon until things change. The other, the other thing that I'm gonna, the other thing that I'm gonna say to you as well is that, you know, I, I just, I've got to the point now where, as well as social media companies putting themselves in the line, the only deterrent, as I see it, is jail or detention centres for younger people, because, because unless you bring that in, people aren't gonna stop. Unless you bring in consequences for people's actions, it's not going to stop. I agree with that 100%. So we're going to move on to women's football. And England have drawn Northern Ireland in World Cup qualifiers. I know Mark's very disappointed by this because he was <laughs> hoping it was going to be in the Euros instead. I wish I hadn't even well, brought well, it up, right, but I knew, yeah. I, I knew that because it was the World Cup draw, we were going to have to talk about it. But the thing, it's so it's law. There I was. 
and I, I know now that we probably won't get England in the European final straw you watch. So all my hopes and dreams have gone to pot. And instead of which, you know, we're facing England in the World Cup qualifiers and we're probably going to get pad both times. So, but, I mean, there is a little bit of hope because I've got to say the last three England women performances haven't been that great. You know, um, I think it's been two draws and a loss, hasn't it? From 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 what I can remember, I know I know the drew recently with France, um, which I mean I thought I I was surprised at, and I do keep an eye on you know women's football. You know I, I was surprised that the French managed to manage. I it was it might even have been a two 0 loss marker for them. I'm, I'm, the memory's a bit foggy, so forgive me. But um, you know it it hasn't been. Let, let's say just the friendlies for for the coming, you know, uh, next tournament haven't been that great for England. So, but obviously it was a draw that I didn't want because I know Northern Ireland they're going to get creamed by England. And <laughs> at least the the thing is, from a purely selfish point of view, from my point of view, you know, I'm quite happy to see Northern Ireland lose to England. You know at St Murray's or Brighton, right, yeah. in the European Championships. But it's a different story when because I'll be there and I'll be able to witness it. But it's a different story whenever it comes to actually playing them in the World Cup qualifiers. But yeah, anyway, yeah. yeah, so apart from that, you know, good, good luck to both teams and give it your all, girls, you know. So moving on now, um, we're just going to take a very short break. When we come back, we're going to do... Saints in the press and transfer gossip. Fiesta 95 FM, the Two Saints show. Right, welcome back, everybody. So, Saints in the press, and obviously, yeah, <clears throat> starting with Ralph Hassanut discusses Danny Ings future and Southampton fans on Romeo injury update. So, yeah, Ralph Hassanut discusses Danny Ings Saints future. Ralph Hassanut believes that Danny Ings will sign a new contract in State Southampton. Um, I think Ralph's been very optimistic about that, Mark. I hope he's right. I'd love to think he's right, but I think he's been very optimistic. Um, look, the way the way I've read everything is, and this is just taken in the stuff that I've read this week, and it's all related to Danny Ings, right? Yeah. The first thing to say is, Jürgen Klopp has indicated that that apparently David Moyes is very interested in taking him to West Ham. Now, obviously, that's only ever going to happen if West Ham get a Champions League spot. That's the only way they would ever. And even then, I think it's an outside chance of sending him because I'm not necessarily convinced that he would want to go there. Obviously, the, the chance of playing in the Champions League may swing up for him. Um just talking about him in general, I read a report this week as well that he won't be back before the end of the season. So the team's basically got to treat the next five games like they did Friday night for me. Um, and then we just come on to what Ralph has said. I mean, without giving too much away, Mark, and you probably want to come in on this, right? But we're obviously going to cover the fans for him next week, but obviously 
Gaddyings and the tran- you know, transfer or sign a new contract was raised. And it, it obviously now it would appear that not only is Ralph confident, but we've got our uh, CEO, Martin Simmons, who seems fairly confident as well. I mean, I, I don't see, even by the way this spoke, I don't see anything that suggests to me that they should have any confidence whatsoever. But they they both seem to be adamant that Danny Ings is going si- to sign the new contract and ultimately spend the rest of his career playing for Saints, as yep. how, is how Martin Simmons put it last night. It is. Yeah, it, <coughs> um, yeah, I mean, I was reading today, actually, that um, there's a good chance that Danny Ings and Oriol were Mayu as well, Mark, surprisingly. Oriol's made a return to the training pitch, which has got Saints fans buzzing. There's a good chance Romeo and Ings could feature against Crystal Palace, Ralph said. Well, I, I, I'm not so sure about Danny Ings. Um, that came from Ralph Asnew. Oriol Romeo, hopefully... That came from Ralph, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Oriol Romeo, yes, hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll see Oriol, you know, very, very soon. And it could potentially be the Crystal Palace game. Um, like, like I've said previously, Mark, you know, when it comes to the business end of the season and a lot of the time we're at the wrong end of the table in the business end of the season, right? And, you know, people of the elk of Oriol Romeo become fundamental to the team and everything else. And like I've said in previous podcasts, I really generally hope that this is the summer that you know, as well as addressing everything else that needs to be addressed, we we bring in a player of the ilk of Romeo. Now, I know a lot of a lot of people thought that Diallo was going to be that player. Diallo is not that kind of player for me. You know, he he is more of an a, a I I would say attack-minded player, even though he doesn't take that Definitely. many shots, but he likes to go forward with the ball, that's for sure. Um, so I'm hoping that come the summer that gets addressed, but mate, all I say is I welcome Oriol coming back. I mean, I, I think that's even pro- possibly more pivotal than Danny Ings coming back, because oh, the thing is, is you need people who are prepared to... to I, I, I don't want to say scrap and fight because that gives the wrong impression. But you know that Oriol Romeo will be out there giving it his all in the middle yeah, of the park and letting people know that he's about. Well, uh, let's not play private. Oriol Romeo is a spoiler. He's the sort of player that's known yeah. as a spoiler. That's what he's putting there to do. He's putting there to break up. He's putting there to do the stuff that most players yeah, don't want to do. He's, he's in there to put in the ugly stuff that most people don't want to do. And he's brilliant at it. Yeah, you know, credit where he's due. He's a spoiler and he's fantastic at that role. I wouldn't yeah. have anyone else in that role. Romeo's brilliant at it and he has been for Saints for a very long time. All, all, I, would, all I would say to you, uh, Oriol Romeo, is, is just remember, don't do a Yannick Vestergaard and get sent off after the first 10 minutes. Right? <laughs> well, that's the only uh, downside to Oriol's game. Just make <laughs> sure that when you're making a tackle, right, you're, you know, it's a yellow, you know, but... Um, 
Yeah, no, it's great news if he's back, man. Absolutely. That's the only that's the only downside to Orioles game. But that was the downside to Jimmy Case's game. You always knew that Jimmy Case was going to put in 110, percent do really well for you, but probably run the risk of getting sent off. Oh, and Ray reminds me of him actually. To be fair, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. But no, I don't mean the team every week. It's first name on the team sheet for me, right up there with James Walbrough. Those two are first on the team sheet every week. Moving on, FA Cup 1976 win, 45th anniversary week. Oh, start yeah. making some new history. Please. <laughs> 45 years now. Come on, Saints. I mean, it's I modern history. Let's stop living off of 1976, please. Before Look, it's before. great. Fantastic. I love it. It's, I'm a Saints fan. We won the Cup. It was 1976. Make some new yeah. memories. Before, please. before we go into... You know, before we go into the two articles, Mark, just on that point, I mean, I've been long an advocate of, uh, you know, we do need to create some new history because in that way you'll attract new supporters, yeah. i.e. from the city and new supporters from around the globe, right. you know. Um, yeah. I, and the thing is, is like, you know, the, the likes of me and you, you know, Dare I use the words dinosaurs, but obviously a lot of Austrian Saints followers is to do with the, I mean, you're from the city, I'm not. Yeah. Um, you know, and yes, I've got relatives in the city, but, you know, I, I would be, I would be doing the 76 team at this service yeah. by saying that I wasn't influenced by the FA Cup win in 76 because yeah. I was. Francis Bernardi recalled the euphoria of seeing Saints lift the FA Cup 45 years on from their famous win. Um, today's yesterday the anniversary, obviously. Um, it's definitely one of Saints' greatest days. Um, obviously, they stunned Tommy Dockett, his top flight side, to win 1-0. I mean, I remember the euphoria of the day after. I was up in bit and precinct with my dad. Team bus came past. I was on my dad's shoulders, put me on the edge of the horse trough, which I promptly fell in. But it was a scorching hot day. They were parading the, the cup on an open top bus, and it was just absolute euphoria everywhere. Everyone was happy, smiling. Yeah. The camaraderie was great. Everyone was having a great crack. The banter was fantastic. You know, beer was flowing. Everyone was in good spirit. It was just a fantastic, one of the greatest days I ever remember in Southampton. In a very yeah, long I'm, time. I'm, I'm, sure it would be, I'm sure it would be a great day if they did it again, because I would expect the, the City Council to pull out all the stops and try and make it very, very similar to the last time that they won the Cup. You know, let, let, let's hope that if they were to win another major trophy, you know, they would do something similar. Cause and guess I, what, I, South Brampton City Council? Be in this, you know, uh, obviously I live in the city now, and I would love to see something like that within the city, because it does bring people together as well. Exactly. And guess what, Southampton City Council? We've still got that bus! <laughs> the bus is still out there so anyway there is a new film on Saints FA Cup win over Manchester United um, this is a film that's been put together by Michael Cohn. Um, I believe he's done some of the filming locally I think he did some of it at Shonen Football Club involving Laurie McManamy and the Boys of 76 so Laurie and the Boys of 76 Life of a Saint as well also available Mark um, anybody who doesn't know how to access Life of a Saint or Laurie and the Boys of 76 um Michael Cohen, if you check him out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you'll, you should be able to find that. And um, obviously, yeah, Laurie and the boys um, all over the place, Mark, everywhere you look. So yeah. anybody that's on social media, check it out. You should be able to find it quite easily. Failing that, Google it. I mean, my, my advice to people would be, you know, if, if you're unsure, Google it. Just put in Life of the Saint. 
So actually, Life is a Saint of a Saint is the name of the website because that was the first book that Michael wrote, which I have a copy of. And obviously now he's doing the stuff for Laurie and the Boys. I mean, the idea of the project was to raise, um, I think it was £1,976 for each of the surviving uh, members. And obviously, like like in the first book that he released, which was Life of a Saint, Michael was looking to raise money for the Saints Foundation along with different food banks in the city and stuff like that. Sorry, the boys are 76. It is, Mark. Um, Also, we've got to mention it while we're on here before we forget. The Saints Disabled Supporters Association at Marin are currently holding a draw for some exclusive prizes and tickets, etc. for Laurie and the boys are 76. So go and check it out on the Saints Disabled Supporters Association website. Some really good opportunities to to get to this premiere and get some other stuff as well. So get your tickets in. Really good. Yeah. You know, I haven't got round to reading Laurie and the Boys the book yet, and I will do. But trust me, even if even if you're not ordering that, the life of the same book is fantastic. Certainly well, is. I would encourage you to get involved and get ordered. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely right. And that brings us to the end of that part of the show. So we're going to now do Saints Transfer Gossip Inns. Southampton Transfer News. Saints monitoring highly rated teenager. Southampton are Jens Petter Haug. Danjuma responds to Saints interest. Norwich City to rival Southampton, West Ham, uh, Southampton and West Ham for the signing of Brandon Williams. Possible outs. West Ham and Newcastle interested in signing Mario, uh, Southampton's Mario Lamina. And Southampton start out on loan has suitors in Belgium and Netherlands. That relates to Edward Wesley Hoop. So the ends mark, Southampton, <clears throat> Saints monitoring, highly rated teenager. So Southampton are eyeing a potential move for West Brom goalkeeper Josh Griffiths this summer, according to Football Insider. 19-year-olds currently on loan at League Two side Cheltenham, who've just gained promotion to the third tier of English football. Since understood, Saints scouts were in attendance for his latest outing. They seem to have been suitably impressed at South Coast Club and now linked with making a move for him. Yeah, I mean, all I would say in regards to that, Mark, is obviously he's... You know, he's a young keeper. He's come to the attention of ourselves. Yep. And I would suspect one or two other clubs. Um, yep. Basically, because he's getting the exposure, he's had the relevant success, as we've just mentioned. You know, uh, Cheltenham Town got promoted on the back of the fact that I think he kept something like 13 clean sheets yep. Um, yep. this season. And you know, would he be a good acquisition? He's only a good acquisition for me if he's challenging for the first team spot. Um, yeah. So unless he's involved in and around the first team squad, then you know, why would we? Why would we buy him and then put him in the under twenty threes? But obviously, yep. if he leaves. Or if he, sorry, if he was to join us, I think you've got a situation then whereby you sort of sit there and you think, well, this should mean that we're either going to offload Alex McCarthy, you know, Fraser Foster or Angus Gunn, you know? Yeah. I'd suggest that you'd have to move one of them out before you, met, you, you move young Josh Griffiths in. 
Yeah, I mean, Angus Gunn, um, currently at Stoke, um, we're led to believe that that's probably going to continue. So he may well go back there on lane next season. Or it could be Fraser departing. Um, we'll see what happens with that one. So moving on to the next story, it relates to Nicholas Shearer. Southampton apparently interested in signing Norway international Jens Petter Hauk. The 21-year-old is currently playing in Italy for AC Milan, who he joined in last summer's transfer window from Bodo Klimt. It appears he's now attracting interest from Saints, who are not the only club interested in the nine million value talent. With Udinese also finding me for him. So, yeah, Mark, I was just telling everyone about Jens Petter Haug, um, obviously being linked with Saints um, from AC Milan. What's your take on him? 21 years old, Norwegian? My, my take's very simple, Mark. <laughs> the, the first thing I would ask myself, right, is there, there may be a good possibility of signing him because he's Scandinavian. And they, they, you know, they like quite, they quite like coming into the Premier League. Yeah. But I also, and I, I said this on the radio show, but I'll say it again. Um, my, I have certain misgivings about it in the sense of, I would want to sign him. I would want Saints to sign him definitely. I think he, he would add in the sense of. I've seen him play once or twice. He's something slightly different from what we've already got in in the forward departments. Um, but at 21, a burn in mind, they bought him for around four million. This is AC Milan, you know, and they're looking to sell it possibly nine million. I I, I just think to myself, he's only been there a season. It would look, looking at his stats, like he's given an all-good round contribution. You know, and obviously it, it, it's still kind of a little bit like development because he, he's obviously at a, at a big club like AC Milan, but his return has been fairly good. Obviously, that would encourage Saints then to be interested. But why would AC Milan sell after just one season, Mark? Why would they do it? I mean, yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm not... Look, mate, if, if, if AC Milan are selling great, Saints who get straight in there, get on it and buy the bloke. But I'm, I'm not convinced that AC Milan would be looking to sell him after just one season. Yeah, I think you're probably right, which is a bit of a strange one. So, I oh know Dan Jim has spoken out about interest from Saints, saying that um, he'd consider it, but um, he's also considering what will happen if Bournemouth get promoted. So he's sort of hedging his bets, Mark, isn't he? <laughs> oh, he's blatantly, he is blatantly <coughs> his bets. I mean, it's, it's like, yeah, well, Bournemouth for now in the playoffs. And if everything goes well, of course, I'm going to stay if we get promoted to the Premier League. But hey, if it all goes pear-shaped, I've still got the fallback position. I can still demand the transfer. And anybody who's interested from the Premier League come and sign me. What a cheek. Oh, a cheek. So, so basically, if we sign him, right, Mark, if we sign him, right, and, and we get relegated, say, next season, heaven forbid, by the way, <laughs> but if we got relegated next season, effectively, you and I know that Dan Zuma would be one of the first people looking for a move. Yeah, oh, it, yeah, it just screams mastery, doesn't it? To be fair, yeah, and I, I, I mean, much, much as you know, you'd probably at the minute in terms of our, you know, creative play, because yeah. I've got to be honest, I don't really see enough 
creative play from the likes of Theo Walcott, uh, you know, Gineppo, who I think's position would come under threat if we brought in the lad from AC Milan as yeah. well as Dan Zuma. I think I think, well, I think the knife from you know, I do think there's a good chance that Gineppo may be sold. Um, I think Nathan Redmond's under more threat from Dan Juma, but that's just me personally. But but yeah, so you but when when you look at it and you look at yeah. creatively in the attacking departments, there's not enough created by the likes of Theo Walcott, yeah. Nathan Redmond, Gineppo, you know, yeah. and time will tell with Nathan Tell, obviously, but you know, and it's an area that needs to be addressed. Definitely. I would love to be able to sign him, but again, I have misgivings on the sort of money that Bournemouth would want for him. But then you would hope that it, it's going to be a reasonable price. But I still think they're going to set their their bar at probably, you know, they the spent ten point eight million pound bringing him in. And he wasn't, you know, he, he hasn't really blossomed until the drop down to the championship. He struggled yeah. in the first season in the Premier League. Um, so they'd probably be looking at anywhere between 15 and 18 million pounds as a, as a reasonable price for him. You know, they got a bit of additional money. Would Saints be willing to pay that kind of money? You know, as I've, as I've said before, I do think it's something that's needed in that depart in the department for Saints. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So moving on to the next one, Norwich City had to rival Southampton West and West Ham for the signing of Brandon Williams. And the outs after that, West Ham and Newcastle interested in signing Mario Lemia. And Wesley, who out on loan obviously has suitors in Belgium and the Netherlands. Right. So, so to rival Southampton to West Ham for the signing of Brandon Williams. So basically, Mark, you know, again, I've said this before. I, it's my belief that Saints are front of the queue. When it comes to Brandon Williams, Saints are front of the queue. Why do you say this? Offer was made in the summer. Went back again in January. Obviously, United didn't want to play ball because of coronavirus. They were worried about squad depth and all the rest of it. But the end of the day, there's nothing to stop Ollie from sending Brandon Williams out and loan this coming season. Because effectively, right, he said he wanted to keep hold of him and he would get his opportunity. Yeah. He hasn't. So yep. him and his agent would have looked at that over the whole of the season and basically turned around and said, right, we're going to get you out on loan. Next season for some first team football, and like I yep. keep saying, if we have seven players who I, I believe it will be around that figure, but however many players that goes out of Southampton this season, and this is whether they're involved in the first team squad or whether they're surplus to requirements, Saints need to make sure that the the number going out equates to the number coming in, right? So yep. how they how they would do that for me is, you know, there might be one or two signings above the ten pound ten million pound mark. There needs to probably be three signings below the ten million pound mark, and there probably needs to be two loan players brought in. Yep. And I, it is my belief that Brandon Williams, you know, is 
one of the ones that's top of the hit list and he'll be one of the first loanees brought in for next season. That's, of yep. course, if United's going to play ball. Absolutely right. So West Ham and Newcastle, interesting signing Mario Lumina and Wesley who has suits in Belgium and Netherlands. To get both of them out of the club now. And I hope I'm, the door doesn't hit him on the way out. I promise that I will do these two very quickly. Right? Um, in relation to Mario Lumina, look, I've stated on record before that there is, forget about, you know, people say about the attitude and all the rest of it. Those weren't the things that concerned me with Mario Lamina because I think you can always overlook that because they're all smokescreen sort of things. On the pitch for me, it was a case of you would get one good game and then five or six games where he looked like he was... He was playing football in the park somewhere. You know, it wasn't at the acquired, the required standard. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, obviously the club need the money. Um, £7 million. Which one would I go to? If I was Mario Lamina, it would be Newcastle. I've got to be honest. I think they need someone who does who can drive a team forward and does have a little bit of uh, creativity about him. Um, so probably Newcastle would be the best home. Is it going to happen? It would seem that both parties are keen, so let's make it happen. Um, in regards to Wesley Hoyt, we've been here before. Who wants him? Let, let, let's be totally honest. Who wants him? You know? Um, even though Lazio seemed to have played him again in the last few games, you know, um, he hasn't necessarily covered himself in glory. It would appear that they're not going to activate the, I think it's £5 million clause that they've got. Yeah. But allegedly, there's interest from Belgium and Holland. So let's see if that transpires. Try and get some money in for them. They add to the coffers for the summer. And then let's see where we are. Because, of course, the biggest headache that the club has going into, the, going into this summer isn't necessarily those two or Elsa Nussi. It's the fact that they've signed Shane Long on a two-year contract that has a year to go and you know I can see the club potentially having to come to some sort of agreement with Shane in, in terms of paying up the rest of the contract so he can go yep. on a free transfer because nobody's going to come in and buy him let's be honest no no that's very true I, I agree with that I don't think anyone is so that brings us to the end of that section Mark so very nicely summed up well done and we're going to take a break now. And when we come back, we'll do the two Saints preview of Liverpool versus Saints and Saints versus Crystal Palace. It's the two marks, CNH, on the Two Saints Show, Fiesta 95 FM. Welcome back, everyone, to the last part of today's podcast. So, the preview Southampton versus Liverpool. Saints obviously won the last game against Liverpool at home. Danny Ings scoring after two minutes. Absolutely brilliant goal. Lobbed the goalkeeper. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. The no look lob, as we called it, Mark. Absolutely fantastic yeah. goal. Absolutely knew where it was going. Brilliant. That, that so, was all to do with awareness on the pitch, mate. That was, for me, that goal. Yes, 100%. And, um, yeah, so obviously managed to hold on, beat Liverpool 
um, and then went on an absolutely dreadful run, and the whole season fell apart. So um, I hope that's not an omen, Mark. But um, yeah, got Liverpool again Saturday. Um, I've got to be honest. As well as we did against Leicester, this has got two new Liverpool written all over it for me. And I've got to say, mate, that uh, as we've as I've said before, we're in agreement. I think it's two 0 Liverpool. I think the thing is, is that we had that honeymoon period under Pochettino yeah. and under Koeman, where we were going the away grounds and. We had no fear, you know. We were yep. turning over, we were turning over the best teams in the land, you yep. know. And it was it was a magical era for me for the football club because I never really, I mean, yes, there are loads of you know different times, you know, under Bali and stuff like that. We were playing some great football, yep. but during especially under Cumin, you know, we were going the grounds and. I mean, you felt like you could win every game every week, right? Yeah. And, and you know, I, I never felt that as a Saints fan. It, it has always been a perennial struggle. Yeah. Um, and and the, the point, the fact is that Ralph is a miracle worker. Do I think he's going to work a miracle on Saturday? No. Um, because I think we've gone back to the position where... You know, Saints would turn up at a at a an Old Trafford or an Anfield or anywhere that you would basically say, you know, it's intimidating because of the size of the crowd, whatever, in these big arenas. And you know, I think we're back to the situation where it's kind of for for the time being until we develop more in the pitch, it is a damage limitation thing. And I think that we'll give a decent account of ourselves, but ultimately, yes, I think it's going to be 2-0. I mean, yes, we've, the thing is, is we can cling to the hope because we've seen sides like Fulham and Burnley go there and get three points. Um, you know, I think Liverpool have been through their slump. They're probably coming out of it a little bit now. And, the, the, you know... I am expecting them to beat us. Uh, but like I said, the only thing you can cling to is, is there are lesser teams than us in the Premier League in terms of personnel, for my opinion, that have gone there and won games of football this season. Yep. You know, yep. So it's not, it's not without the bounds of possibility, but I Great. think when you're missing the likes of uh, Danny Ings, it makes it much more improbable. Right, and I think, in, I think in all fairness as well, Mark, I mean, Danny Ings especially, Danny Ings would have had a point to prove. Yeah. No, he would have had a point to prove. 100%. He would have done it once this season. He proved a point once this season. He'd want to do it again, definitely. Yeah. But like, like I said, I mean, I think we will give a decent account of ourselves. You know, I'm... I'm not expecting an avalanche of goals for Liverpool, but I am expecting us to lose, unfortunately. Right, we move on now to Crystal Palace 1 Southampton, Neil. Louis Zaha after 13... Louis Zaha. Wilfred Zaha after 13 minutes. Crystal Palace 1 Southampton, Neil, was the full-time score. Crystal Palace made a winning start to the season. Saints, unfortunately, uh, fell to a Wilfred Zaha volley, and it was enough to sink them. Yeah, I mean... Oh, this is what won all for me, Mark. 
you know, yeah, so you're going one each. We agree on 2-0 Liverpool. Um, for me, I'm going to go for a reverse on, on the scoreline that was at Crystal Palace. I'm going 1-0 Saints. I, the thing is, is if you want to encapsulate a season, right, and the fact that, it, you know, there was no, there was hardly any pre-season, all the rest of it, but, you know, let's take you back to the start of the season and the one that lost at Crystal Palace and the subsequent loss to Tottenham 4-1 and the loss to Brentford, right? And none of us would have foretold in those first three games because I, I, I thought to myself, relegation battle ensues, right? And then all of a sudden, Saints are transformed by obviously the work that's done on the training pitch and everything else, you know, and, you know, early November, we're top of the table, you know, and you're sort of sat there thinking, what a transmission or transformation there's been, Um, you know, and you sort of sit there and you think to yourself, that's all well and good. But I think we knew that as soon as there was any sort of injuries and, you know, the mounted up and everything else for a club like Southampton, because there isn't the strength and depth, you know, we were soon going to be maybe looking over our shoulders like we have been. Um, so that sort of, the, the, the Crystal Palace result encapsulated the season for me in the sense that it's been it's been a down and then it's been an up. You know, it's been a down in the sense of initially I thought we're you know we're gonna have a relegation struggle all season and then we're top of the table, you know, and then because of injuries and trying to get people back and everything like that there, you know, obviously and the, the thing is is you know, on the flip side of that, it just goes to show how well we actually did to get to the semi-finals of the FA Cup as well as. But I'm going one now because I already think Crystal Palace, they're on their beach. What have they got to play for? They're safe. Um, and, and I think their performances in recent games have been indifferent. So I do think that if Saints go out there, they've still got something they apply, you know, to play for, and they apply themselves to the job in hand. I do think that it will be a one-nil reverse, and Saints will win one-nil. <laughs> that that sums everything up brilliantly today. So uh, that's the end of today's podcast. So goodbye for myself, and it's goodbye for me. And as I say, take care of each other until next week. You know, look after one another and uh, be careful out there. Actually, right. And if you've missed anything, the ways to access the podcast version of the Two Saints show are these. Just to remind you all, you can contact us via our email address, the Two Saints podcast show at outlook.com for questions or items you'd like to hear in future shows. You can listen to the radio show on Fiesta 95FM in Southampton and via onlineradiobox.com. Also, the Two Saints podcast show is now available via Spotify, 
Overcast, Acast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Deezer, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and Pop, or via our Facebook page, The Two Saints Show, and our YouTube channel, The Two Saints Podcast Show. And the final thing for me to say is thank you for joining us. Please join us again next week when The Two Saints go marching in again.